were honoring the couple. Really, all we were doing together was celebrating the beginning of the marriage of these wedded couples. In Jesus' day, the bride and the groom, they had a week-long party at their home, sort of like a bit of an open house. And they would dress in their finest, and they were treated sort of like king and queen for that week. The individual guests, those that were invited to that wedding feast, they were given new clothes, and they were called the children of the bride chamber. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of rejoicing. And like these weddings, Jesus is saying here that his presence with his disciples and all the people of God at that point, that his presence meant that they should be celebrating and rejoicing with him who is the bridegroom. See, it's Jesus' presence that marks the joyful occasion that reveals God's new relationship to his people. That they're gathering together and joining around their bridegroom. There's going to be a wedding celebration, is what Jesus is saying. A wedding celebration where God is joined with his people forever. And so the big question this morning is, Will you join the celebration? The question is for each person in this room. Unlike the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus did not come to add one more religious act, one more duty, one more thing to do for the people of God. You see, the Pharisees had added all kinds of religious acts, all kinds of things to the law of God, to the requirements of God. They were adding things. Jesus didn't come to do that. Instead, Jesus came to remove the sins of his people, to remove the sins of his bride, so that they might be joyfully wedded to him forever. And so as we go through the passage, basically the three points are this. The groom has arrived is what we're going to see first up. The groom will be taken away. But then the groom has come and his new ways or his new way replaces the old. So let's look first at that. The groom having arrived. That's where we see it in verse 33 and 34. Jesus is the groom and he's calling his bride to be with him. Now, most people who are religious folk, they tend to compare and they tend to judge the practices of others. They look down their nose at other people. And so just before this passage, as Maniam commented before, just before this passage, Jesus called Levi. Now, Levi was a tax collector. In Jewish eyes, or in the Pharisees' eyes particularly, Levi was definitely a sinner. And Jesus, after he calls Levi, he eats with Levi and his friends. And so the Pharisees, they criticize Jesus for eating with tax collectors And sinners, they're looking down their nose at these naughty people and saying, oh, Jesus ate with them. That's terrible. But now in our passage, so just the next section later, now the Pharisees confront and they judge Jesus and his disciples for not fasting. 
Before it was what they were eating, and now he's critic- they're being criticized, they're criticizing Jesus and his disciples for not fasting. Now, just so you know what a fast is, for those of you who might not understand it, fasting is just not eating food, um, or not drinking drink, or withholding from things in this life that you would normally need in order to focus on God and focus on what He's doing or what He has done. That's why he mentions John's disciples. John had come to preach the, preach the uh, repentance and be prepared for the coming of the king. And so John's disciples were fasting because they were looking forward to the, to the arrival of Messiah. Of course, here's Jesus. He is Messiah. But John's disciples are still coming to understand that. So the Pharisees were putting on a fast for show, to show off to others, look how religious we are. And the John's disciples had not yet quite come to understand who Jesus is. So they're still fasting. But Jesus' point in this passage is this. Wedding guests don't mourn or go hungry at a wedding. They've come to celebrate. That's what weddings are for. Celebration. Eat and drink and be merry with the newlyweds. To do anything else is incorrect. Even rude or offensive. It's just like for a wedding. Jesus rightly points out that it would be incorrect, as the Pharisees are suggesting, it would be incorrect to fast while the bridegroom is present. It's the self-righteous people, like the Pharisees, who do not see Jesus as the bridegroom. They do not see that they, that he is calling sinners to repent and to rejoice in his presence. That's what the Pharisees are missing. That's what self-righteous people miss, that they need Jesus. They think they don't need Jesus. The Pharisees did not see themselves as sinners who needed to repent. So they did not receive Jesus as their bridegroom. And so what Luke is doing is he's contrasting the outlook of the Pharisees to the outlook of a true follower of Jesus. The old rituals blinded the Pharisees. To the, um, to the presence of who Jesus was. They thought their old rituals were good enough. You know, I fast, I give a tithe, I do all these good things. That's good enough. That'll make me, that'll make God happy with me if I do all those good things. Meanwhile, those who are repenting, those who are hearing the call of Jesus and repenting, they are rejoicing at the arrival of Jesus. They are rejoicing that their bridegroom is present with them. Now there's a notable difference to understanding this passage to weddings of our day. So weddings in our day, you would typically say the bride has arrived, right? But for Jews in that day, that was not the important thing that happened. It wasn't the bride's arrival. In our day, the bride is considered the central figure. The groom waits for the bride at the front of the church, and everybody else in the church waits for the bride to come, right? Sometimes the weddings are really delayed because the bride is really late. (laughs) And when the bride comes in, what happens? Please be upstanding 
the bride has arrived. You see, the bride is the central figure in our day in weddings. But that's not the way it was in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, it was the arrival of the groom that set off the wedding celebration, that started the wedding celebration. In other words, they would have said something like, the groom has arrived. So it is big news, very big news that Jesus is calling attention, calling to our attention here and calling the Jews of his day and particularly the Pharisees who he's interacting with. It's big news when he says the groom has arrived and that he is the bridegroom for Israel. Look at verse 34. He says, can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is present? In other words, what he's saying is the bridegroom is present. The groom has arrived. And it's even bigger news when you understand some sections of the Old Testament that call our attention to the fact that God is going to be the bridegroom of his people. He's going to send someone to be the one who marries or is the groom for his people. So that's why we read Isaiah 62 earlier in the service. And if you're quick, you can get there. Isaiah 62, verses 1 to 5. I want you to look at it. Isaiah 62, 1 to 5. Where God says that he is going to be the bridegroom to his people. So he makes promises in Isaiah. And at the beginning of that section, Isaiah 62, verse 2, he says, you shall see your righteousness. You shall see your glory. In other words, you're going to see the one who is your righteousness, who is your glory. And he says to his bride, to Israel, now Israel is in a lot of trouble with God because they've been acting inappropriately, wickedly, ungodly, doing all kinds of evil. And God is going to send them into exile because of all the evil, but God is still going to marry them. Still, God is still making promises. I will rescue you from where I send you. And so here he says in verse 3, or verse 2, sorry, you will be called by a new name. Verse 3, he says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of your God. You shall no more, it says in verse 4, be forsaken. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. You see, God had rejected his people for a time because of all their wickedness. But he says, I still promise I will marry you. I will come and get you. And then he says in verse 5, look at it. It's so clear. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isn't it wonderful? Our God sent his son. God the son, our Lord Jesus. He arrived and he called his bride. He's calling his bride. He's called you, if you know him, to be his bride, the church. Jesus and his bride are engaged to be married. We look forward to the full day when we see him face to face and are with him forever. And so Jesus in this passage is the bridegroom who is present with the guests, with his disciples, 
And so the proper reaction for the disciples of his day and for us today is to celebrate his presence. Anything else, especially fasting for Jesus in his day, especially fasting would be rude. My daughter Ainsley, she likes to throw themed parties. In other words, parties with some kind of theme. So one year she did a 50s theme. One year she did a classic movie theme. And you see some pictures there. So what does she do? Well, she calls people together. She feeds them. And then they do some kind of celebration, entertainment together, um, all kinds of stuff, uh, enjoyment and celebration. During the party, the guests enjoy the celebration. They enjoy the food. They enjoy being with the host. And then at the end of the evening, they thank the host. They thank Ainsley for having the party. Now, it's rude if a guest were to come to ignore Ainsley, to, you know, to be glum at the event, to be just all downcast. Oh, what a stupid party. You know, complain, complain, complain. It would be dumb. And then to walk away from the celebration and not thank Ainsley. If somebody did that as a guest, they'd be rude, wouldn't they? We would all say that's just rude behavior. However, that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing here. That's exactly what the self-righteous do. They think they're good enough. They think they don't need Jesus. Here the groom is right in their presence. The one that they supposedly have longed for. But they didn't receive Jesus as their bridegroom. Instead, they criticized Jesus. They criticized his disciples. They thought that they did not need Jesus. But then there's something else that Jesus says that's actually quite a bit Quite shocking. That's verse 35. That's our next point. That the groom is going to be taken. So the groom has arrived, but now he's going to be taken. What? That should shock us. The celebration appears to be coming to an end rather suddenly. Now, have you ever been to a party where the guest of honor never showed? You ever been to one of those kind of parties? Somebody didn't show up. The very important person didn't show up. Have you ever been to a party where the host says, you know, somewhere in the middle of the party says, ah, oh, I'm going to leave now. And, you, you know, you guys just lock up. I'll, I'll be done later. You know, I'll be fine. Now, it's a bit shocking to lose your host or to lose the guest of honor in the middle of a party. But that's not even as bad as what Jesus says is about to happen here. Here's what he says in verse 35. It indicates that someone is going to arrest or take away the bridegroom. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. So he's just announced his arrival. And now he's saying somebody's going to come and take away the bridegroom. Well, that's a mood killer. That's a party pooper. You know, right there, he's saying they're going to take away the bridegroom especially in the middle of a wedding celebration. Things are just getting started. And this is exactly why Jesus says, when that happens, then they will fast. In those days, when the bridegroom is taken, they will fast. At this point in Luke, the disciples are really, it's early days in Luke, the disciples are still learning about what it means to be with Jesus. He hasn't even announced. It's only the next chapter where he announces who his disciples are. 
all 12 disciples. So he's still calling disciples at this point. It's still early days in Jesus' ministry. So this could really make Jesus' indication that he's going to be taken. He's arrived and now he's going to be taken. That could really be depressing, especially at the beginning, the start of your ministry, to be telling the disciples, I'm going to be going. This could be a depressing point, except Jesus knew a couple things. A couple things that are really important. First off, he is going to be removed. And so he does tell his disciples, verse 35, the days will come when he's removed and then they will fast. But he also knows, Jesus also knows that his departure is going to be for a good purpose, a right purpose. It's going to fulfill a bigger purpose. So it should not panic the disciples that he's going away. Instead, what Jesus is doing is he's preparing them. Parents, you you may do something similar for your children. You may mention ahead of time that you're going to be making some big change in their life. Maybe you're going to shift house to a new house. Uh, and, you know, you want to tell them, look, we're going to this new place. You're going to have a space. I'm still going to look after you. Everything's going to be fine, but we are going to shift house. Or maybe it's going to be, you know, you're going to fly on a plane for the first time and your kids are really worried about flying way up in the sky. And so you say, it's okay. Mom and dad will be with you. Everything will be fine. The pilot knows what he's doing. You know, everything's good. Now, you don't tell your kids everything about what's going to happen, but you tell them enough so that they know that you're with them and that everything's going to be okay. You want to prepare your children so that you know that they will be taken care of. And that's what Jesus is doing here for his disciples. He's preparing them for what's going to happen in the future. And he's preparing them and telling them, I care for you. I'll take care of you. So up to this point, we've learned that Jesus' presence is cause for celebration. But he's going to be taken away. And at that point, the disciples are going to fast, not feast. Similarly, when any one of us joins this celebration as a follower of Jesus, we need to understand both those things. We need to understand that he is present with his people, but we also need to understand that he is not physically here and there are challenges that take place, but God is providing for us. He's looking out for us. In other words, we know the joy of his presence but we know that there are times when we will fast because we're apart from him. See, this side of the cross, this side of Jesus' ascension into heaven, we experience both. We know his presence because his spirit is with us. You know, several times in the New Testament, the spirit, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Christ. In Romans 8, in Philippians 1, and in 1 Peter 1. The Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Christ. So the Holy Spirit who dwells with us is the presence of Christ with us. So we have joy. However, we also know that when that we are physically absent from him or he is physically absent from us. He's in heaven and we're here. And anytime we face suffering or challenges or face the grief or loss in our life, or we face even our own sin that can make us feel so distant. 
Those are times when we might fast. Times when we might put away the comforts of this life and focus on our God. And look for his return and beg for him and call for him to return. Much like what we see at the end of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 22.20, the church, the bride of Christ, what do they cry out? They cry out, come Lord Jesus. What's going on? The bride is going through times of suffering throughout the book of Revelation. Times of trial and stress and distress. And at the end of the book, they're crying out, Lord Jesus, come. It's a call for all of us to recognize there are hardships. And we call for our groom to come and be with us or for us to be with him. It's the bride's plea for her groom to return. So we've seen those two things. The bride, the groom has arrived. We've also seen that the groom has departed. But the next thing that Jesus shows us is that the old will not do. The old ways, the old life will not do. The old is not compatible with this new way of living. And here are two parables where Jesus is teaching us the exclusive claim of our groom. See, his arrival is an occasion to celebrate. We've already seen that. And nothing old will do at this new life, this new life with our groom. Nothing old will do at this wedding celebration. It's why he discusses the new cloth that will be given, the new clothes that we're given, and the new wine for the celebration of this time together with the bride and the groom. Now, weddings, when you come to a wedding, you usually come in your best, right? The bride and the groom, they come in their best. They come in the good stuff. That's what's going on here. New clothes and new wine. There's no mixing of the old. There's no, you know, coming in and oh, dusting off the old jeans and say, oh, that's good enough. You come with new, the bride and the groom. They're marrying. They're starting a new life together. Everything's about the new that has come. And likewise, what is Jesus doing here? He is teaching how important it is to embrace the new life that he gives. He calls us to leave behind the old ways. The things that you thought were good enough. If I do good deeds, if I give money to the church, if I just show up in church, you know, that gives me credit with God. Give me some kind of, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, special credit. If I, if I just, you know, do all these good things for my, for neighbors around me, if I give them food and show them nice things, then that's good enough and God will be pleased with me. I want you to consider this first parable. Look at what he's saying here. He's saying that tearing a new garment to patch up an old garment is not good. The patch parable is a bit like if somebody gave you a new so, a new suit from David Jones. Or a new dress from David Jones. And then you bring home that suit and you tear it up and patch your old blue jeans. That would be silly. Nobody does that, right? That's ridiculous. And that's what Jesus is pointing out in verse 36, right at the end. He's saying, if you did that, the new piece is torn. The new clothes are torn up. And those pieces don't match the old piece. So everything's ruined. 
in the context of celebrating with the bridegroom, celebrating his arrival, anticipating this wedding, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. He's saying to them, it's not good enough. It's ridiculous to try and connect the old ways with the new, all the rituals that they invented, all the law that they thought they could keep perfectly. They couldn't do it. They didn't do it. And to add rituals on top of that was ridiculous. It was patching the old stuff with new. It wouldn't work. It's only the bridegroom who clothes us with his new life, who gives us what we need. It's only the bridegroom that can make us right, giving us new life. For any of us today who might be tempted to think that Jesus' new clothes can be used just to patch up our old way of life, you are wrongly thinking. You are not considering the importance of Jesus, our bridegroom. We are not just a bit sinful, where we just need a little bit of help from Jesus to patch us up and make us good. You know, if we just add a little bit of Jesus to our life, then that's good enough. God's going to be happy with me if I just add a little bit of Jesus here on Sunday or a little bit of Jesus here and there. Jesus is correcting that saying. He's saying that you need to take only the new life that he gives. And don't think that your old ways are good enough. Don't think your old ways are compatible. The clothes that Jesus offered us are perfect clothes. His righteousness, his perfect righteousness is what he offers to us, what he gives to his people. That's what you need. And so the question is, will you receive the new clothes that he offers? Will you say that my old clothes are not good enough? I need the new clothes. I need righteousness from Jesus. You can't just put a foot in both camps. Think it's good enough here, good enough for this, and I'll add a little bit of Jesus. You see, the truth of the matter is you're either married to the groom, to Jesus, or you're not married to him. You're either all in or you're out. And the second parable, Jesus is going a little bit further. And Jesus illustrates that old skins, these old wineskins, cannot contain new wine. It's a a similar parable, but not the same. What does he say in verse 38? Look what he says. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So settling for the old ways, he says, will destroy the new, uh, settling for old ways will destroy the wine and the skins. If you just try and add a little bit of Jesus to your life, it's going to ruin the skins and you'll spill the wine. What's he saying? Again, self-righteous people, they don't think they need the wineskin of a new heart. They don't think they need to be made new. They don't think they need the new birth, if you want to put it that way. They don't think they need something new, a new heart, in order to contain Jesus. They think we just add a little bit of Jesus to our old ways of doing things. But Jesus says, no, the wineskin of a new heart is what you need. 
The Pharisees, they had outwardly related to God using the practices of circumcision and all the various sacrifices that the Old Testament law required. But circumcision anticipated God giving his people a new heart. All the sacrifices anticipated Jesus' perfect sacrifice. In other words, the old ways pointed to the new ways. The old ways of sacrifice and circumcision pointed to what Jesus would come and do for his people. But they were never meant to be what was ultimately going to make us right with God. See, the Pharisees were saying, I'm good enough. My heart is good enough. I don't need God to give me a new heart. I don't need new wineskins. I don't even need Jesus. The Pharisees were satisfied with their old heart. And they didn't desire to celebrate the presence of Jesus. Which is exactly why Luke ends this section. Look at verse 39. It's exactly why he ends this section. Because these people who are rejecting Jesus and not seeing their need of him. They say that the old is good enough. That's what the self-righteous Pharisees were doing. They're saying, I don't need anything new from Jesus. I don't need a new heart. I don't need new wine. I don't need new clothes. He's saying, my goodness is good enough. The old ways are good enough. The old wine is good enough. So maybe you're here today. And you haven't seen your need for a change until now. Until you see what Jesus is calling for here. You see, Jesus says, you need a new heart. You need the new clothes that I give you. You need the new wine of my presence with you. That's what you need. And maybe until now, you haven't seen that. Your life is like the old dried out wineskin. The old ways, thinking you're good enough. The old practices, thinking that God will be happy if I just do my best. But here Jesus is telling you, he's telling all of us, that we need a new life. We need new wineskins. We need new clothes so that we can properly celebrate our marriage with our God. Do you thirst For what he provides. Ask him. If you have not already. Ask him. To give you a new heart. To fill your life. With the joy of his presence. And to be the righteousness. To give you the righteousness. That you need. So that you can be joined. To your God. Will you join. The celebration. He calls his people, Jesus calls his people to be his bride. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are indeed so grateful that you have called many of us in here. We know you. You have given us your righteousness. You have given us new life. You are present with us by your spirit. So we rejoice. But Lord, there may be some here who don't know you yet. And I pray that your work in their life by your spirit would open their eyes. Help them to see their need. 
to turn away, to to get rid of those old wineskins and to receive what you give. To get rid of their old ways, Lord, and to turn to you in repentance and belief and trust you for all that you give and help them to celebrate along with us your joyful presence with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, our Bridegroom. Holy Spirit, thank you for being present with us. Help us to enjoy and to celebrate. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.